0: In sheer despair, I said, Lord Jesus, I love you dearly. I know what you've done for me, and I know you've redeemed me, and I'm going to heaven when I die. But I'm tired. So tired, I'm fit to quit. And I was fit to quit. It's wonderful when you meet a Christian today who's fit to quit, because you know... They're on the very threshold of discovering what it means to be a Christian.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. You know, a lot of our episodes uh, contain different individuals giving their testimony, explaining to us how they came to know Christ, what the events were that brought them to faith in Christ, and then they go on to tell us how they came to realize that this life they have entered into doesn't depend on them. They have been freed or saved from themselves. And how they have come to understand that this life that they've been saved to is literally the life of Christ. And how they came to understand that it is by faith I allow Christ to live his life in me. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We received Jesus by faith. Now it's for us to walk in Jesus by faith. And so with all these testimonies, that's what we've heard repeated time and again. So for today's episode, I thought it'd be a good idea that we listen to Major Ian Thomas give his testimony and have him explain the same thing. For those of you who are not familiar with the Torchbearer ministry, uh, you may not know the name, Major Ian Thomas. The Major was the founder of the Torchbearer Ministry. In 1947, he and his wife, Joan, opened the first center, which is in the Lake District of England, known as Capenry Hall. And since that time, there have been centers opened up all over the world. Major Thomas passed away and. August of 2007. But in 2004, he was here at His Hill for the Thanksgiving conference, and it was there that he gave his testimony. And that's what I have for you to listen to now.
0: Needless to say, I'm more than delighted to have this opportunity of talking to you. I'm not going to lecture, just going to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's an organization called CBMC, which stands for Christian Businessmen's Committee. And every year they organize family conferences. And a year or two back, they invited me to speak, as they have done several times, to one of these family conferences. So uh, it started on the Saturday evening at mealtime. So I arrived on the Saturday and I'd hardly got into the dining room for the meal. Then a lady came up to me, I think it was a lady. (laughs) She she didn't behave at first too much like one because she yelled at me and she said, uh, I'm sick and tired of trying to live the Christian life. I said, Madam, that isn't your problem. Your problem is you've never discovered the Christian life. See, there are two reasons why many who are trying to live the Christian life fail miserably, as he was, of course. The first is trying to live a life you haven't got because they've never been born again. And secondly, they have a life because they are born again that they've never lived. And you might be one of those too right now. That's really what I want to talk to you about. You needn't yell at me now. <laughs> I wonder if you know why you're here. I want to tell you why you're here. It's something that happened over 70 years ago. And I want to tell you now what happened then, because uh, it may be very relevant to you in your attempt to live the Christian life. I never heard the gospel until I was 12. My mum and my dad never told me about Jesus. I had three older brothers and one older sister who died just a couple of months ago. But they never talked to me about Jesus. We were a nominal, what you call a nominal Christian family. In other words, I was dragged to church from the babyhood almost detested it because they always used to dress me up to go to church. What's well, called an Eaton suit, which you've probably never heard of, it's out of the Ark. <laughs> it had a tight little black jacket and a, a stiff white collar that went right round your neck and over your shoulders. It was called an Eaton collar. And uh, it was like having an ice rink round your neck. And I had to wear a bowler hat. Can you imagine that? Six, seven, five years of age wearing a bowler hat. (laughs) I hated going to church. And I wasn't very impressed with God because I thought he must wear a bowler hat too. (laughs) And an Aiden (laughs) suit. Anyway, I, I didn't know anything about Jesus until I was 12 years of age. And that's the first thing that happened. But that isn't why you're here. Something else happened. And that's why you're here. The pastor of the church that we went to, at least I was taken to, never talked to me about Jesus. He would come every Sunday to lunch because he was a friend of the family. He'd drink a glass of whiskey and smoke a cigar. Never once talked to me about Jesus. Talked about everything else under the sun except Jesus. So at the age of 12 in the city of London, in a so-called Christian country, I was totally pagan. Didn't know the first thing about the Christian life. But I had a kid friend, he was just 13, I was 12. And he was really in the same kind of family that I was, nominal Christian family. They all went to church, didn't know the first thing about Jesus. But this kid of 13 went to a Christian camp the year before, and at that Christian camp, he received the Lord Jesus as his saviour. And he was the first person that was ever concerned about whether or not I knew Jesus. And he persuaded me to go to the same Bible class that he went to every Sunday afternoon 3 o'clock. And then he persuaded me to go with him that year to the same camp that he had been to the year before and found Jesus. Well, I didn't know, of course, what a Christian camp was all about, but I went because I liked him and he was my friend. Well, it began then on a Saturday night. And there was a chaplain for the camp. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a professional preacher. He was a businessman. But he was a businessman who really knew Jesus and spoke very articulately and simply and authoritatively about Jesus. I learned that evening, the first night of camp, that Jesus was God's son. He came down from heaven to earth, that he died on the cross for me to take away my sins, that I might become a child of God. I never heard all that before, but I understood it very clearly because he made it very clear that's all that night but the next night he recapitulated some of the things he had said the night before just to make quite sure we understood and then he stopped dead and there was a sort of terrible silence and then out of that awful silence he said have you ever thanked him I hadn't thanked him because nobody had ever told me I'd never heard but I felt very very ashamed because Jesus Christ God's son came from heaven to earth died on a cross that I might be forgiven and so feeling very ashamed in the silence of my heart I said Lord Jesus I never heard this before but I'm terribly sorry and I apologize that I never thanked you for what you did on the cross when you died for me. That was a quarter to nine, Saturday night, the 13th of August, 1927. That was the beginning of my Christian life. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody. Nobody asked me. But something happened at that moment that was calculated absolutely to change my life. It wasn't the most important thing. I'm going to tell you about that in a moment. But I knew I was a child of God. I knew that Jesus was my Savior. And I was profoundly thankful to him for what he had done. The man who was the chaplain was a man called Lawrence Head. (laughs) We called him Bubbly Head. (laughs) That was his nickname, Bubbly. And we called him Bubbly because he frothed at the mouth when he spoke. (laughs) And that was God's means of capturing my attention. (laughs) Because although I was listening to what he said, what I was interested in was the bubbles. (coughs) one bubble started on the right-hand side, your left now, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until it burst. In the meantime, another bubble, a smaller bubble, started on the other side of your mouth. And so it became a competition between the two. And when the first big one burst, (coughs) that was one nil until the little one grew big enough to be as big as the other one. And that was one all. And this kept me occupied. While he was telling me all about Jesus. But it saved me from watching the earwigs going up the tent pole in that big marquee where we had the meetings. <coughs> and That's how God captured my attention. But it was... Uh, while watching the bubbles (laughs) instead of the earwigs that uh, God saved me from the penalty of my sins. But he hadn't really saved me because although I knew that I was forgiven, I knew that my sins had been blotted out, I knew that Jesus died in my place, had become my savior, but I didn't know then what it meant to be saved except that I was going to heaven instead of hell which was a comforting thought but Jesus didn't come to get us out of hell and into heaven that's what the popular idea of why he came and died on the cross do you know why he came? it took me seven more years to find this out he didn't come to get me out of hell and into heaven The Lord Jesus came into this world to get himself back out of heaven into us. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. In point of fact, that's what it means to be a human being, functionally. But I didn't discover that until seven years later. You see, the men who so faithfully told me about the Jesus who died for me, they never told me the one thing that matters, that the one who died for me then 2,000 years ago rose again from the dead. Not just to wait for me until I got to heaven, but to come in the person of his Holy Spirit and share his resurrection life with me on earth on the way to heaven. I didn't know that because they didn't tell me. And I think they didn't tell me because I don't think they really knew themselves. They were very sincere, very earnest, wonderful bunch of young men, mostly students or young businessmen, who gave their holidays just to serve us as kids without any remuneration. (coughs) They did tell me the only thing they knew They said, now that you're a Christian, Jesus has done so much for you, which was wonderfully true, it's time you did something for him, which was a sheer impossibility. For the Lord Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. So everything I might try to do for him, if it wasn't he doing it, was nothing. Nothing. And that's very tiring. That's what this woman was talking about. I'm sick and tired of trying to live the Christian life. Well, of course. The Lord Jesus never asked us to try to live the Christian life. It's a sheer impossibility. <coughs> they told me to do my best for Jesus. Jesus. In other words, sweat it out for God. Flex your muscles. Do something. And because I had learned already then to love the Lord Jesus who died for me 2,000 years ago, I did it gladly. I sweated it out for Jesus. For seven solid years, I began to preach in the streets of London at the age of 15. I started a slum club in the east end of London for kids off the street and loved them and told them week after week about a Jesus who died for them 2,000 years ago, which was absolutely true, but hopelessly as inadequate for them as it was already for me. Have you ever tried to do your best for Jesus? It's a sheer impossibility. You're wasting your time and wasting his time. (coughs) I became one of the leaders of that Bible class that I first went to with my young 13-year-old friend, Kenneth, Kenneth Horn was his name. I was busy 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 really busy for Jesus and loved being busy for Jesus until I became totally exhausted at my noble noble endeavors to do my best for Jesus 7 years By which time I was training to become a doctor to go to Africa as a missionary I was enthusiastic for Jesus but there's nothing that perpetuates ignorance more than unenlightened enthusiasm and I was very enthusiastic but totally unenlightened as to what it really meant to be a Christian. I'd become one, didn't know how to be one except to do what I was told by others who were doing what they told me to do. My best. Till at the age of 19, still doing my best for Jesus, studying medicine to go to Africa as a missionary. In sheer despair I said, Lord Jesus, I love you dearly. I know what you've done for me and I know you've redeemed me and I'm going to heaven when I die. But I'm tired. So tired I'm fit to quit. And I was fit to quit. It's wonderful when you meet a Christian today who's fit to quit because you know that they're on the very threshold of discovering what it means to be a Christian. (coughs) some years ago I was invited to speak at the chapel hour of Multnomah College of the Bible in Oregon and um, what I talked about at that chapel hour was now contained in one of the chapters of one of my books Saving Life of Christ any old bush will do my wife sent a copy of my book to the president, because any old Bush will do. (laughs) George Bush. (laughs) Well, uh, I said, Lord Jesus, I love you. I'm planning on going to the mission field, but it wouldn't be fair to the Africans It wouldn't be fair to you, and it it certainly wouldn't be fair to myself to go in my present condition because I'm useless. I've tried seven solid years desperately to live the Christian life and failed. So there's only one sensible, intelligent, honest thing for me to do quit. And I did. That's why you're here today because in sheer tears of despair. Over seventy years ago I quit. It was a dark night and I was in my room four stories high in a big old-fashioned Victorian home where we lived in Hampstead northwest London and in tears of despair I said Lord Jesus I love you you died for me you're my saviour but I'm going to quit." And then he he threw threw the verses out of the Bible. From each corner of that dark bedroom to me to live is Christ. Christ. I said Christ. To me to live is Christ. And then from another corner of the room I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live yet not I, not I don't get me wrong not I Christ lives in me. And when that sunk in from another corner of the room if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son Much more. Much, much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life. Not by his death. What his death did was to qualify us to become the recipients of his saving life. Sharing his resurrection with each one of us who've passed from a state of death in which we're born to the life that God is prepared to give to us eternal life God's life his life forever from each corner of the room the truth in all its simplicity Jesus not only died for you to get you out of hell and into heaven which in a sense is incidental. He came, died for you, and rose again from the dead so that he could live his life in you and through you. That's the Christian life. It isn't a religion. It isn't a theology. It isn't a psychology. It isn't a program. It's a person. Somebody living his life now in you as he, Jesus, had so gladly allowed the Father as God to live in and through him. He said, without my Father, I can do nothing. And in my tears of despair, I said, God, I got it. I understand I've been trying to live a life that only Christ can live in and through me an exercise in futility. And I'm sorry. For the second time in my life, I said, sorry. And I was on my knees and in my tears. I said, Lord Jesus, for seven years I've been begging, asking you for strength, asking you for help, asking you to bless me and all the time I've been missing who you are, living your life, your way, for your reasons, in and through me. It's going to be different now. And I'm no longer going to beg for help and strength. If you ask God for strength, what do you think God says? I've given you My son, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you're complete in him. So don't waste my time up begging for strength, asking for help. You've got all the help I can give a forgiven sinner, Jesus. And at last the truth dawned upon me that I'd not only been robbed myself of that for which Jesus died for me, not just to go to heaven, but to have him sharing his life with me on earth on the way to heaven. That's why you're here now. Because that discovery totally revolutionized my life as a Christian. Nineteen years of age, I suddenly discovered what it meant to be a Christian. Not doing my best for Jesus, but Jesus doing his best in and through me. And all I had to do in every situation is admit, Lord Jesus, I can't. But then you never said I could. You said, without me, you can do nothing. I can't, you never said I could, but, Jesus, you can. I've always I said you would. That's all I need to know. I realize now all I've got to do is take all that you've made available to me by giving yourself to me and say thank you. Lord Jesus, you're in business. And seven years after becoming a Christian, I learned how to be one. Just let the Lord Jesus be the one who can. While I was admitting I'm the one who can't. That was the moment for me of truth. When I despaired of myself and became totally, gloriously confident in Jesus. Well, from that moment, literally, I had nothing else to talk about. That was over 70 years ago. As probably most of you know, I'm just a mere 91 now. On my way to 91, that'll be my next birthday. And I'm looking forward to my 95th. (laughs) And my 100th so long as the Lord Jesus has still got something for me to do down here, I'll be available to him because he's the only one who can do it. And the life since then has been a sheer adventure. Amazing. All over the world we have torchbearer centers. At this very moment there are a thousand young men and women like you in our Bible schools. All over the world. In many different countries. Where did it all begin? In despair. Tears of despair. Sick and tired of trying to live the Christian life. That's one of Satan's subtleties. <coughs> he loves religion so long as he'll try to practice it, knowing himself in his subtlety that you're going to fail miserably. And get to the point where you're fit to quit. That's why I love meeting people who are fit to quit. And I've only got one word of advice for them. I'll give you one guess. Quit. (laughs) I was invited to speak. I think I began to tell you this. At the chapel hour of Multnomah College of the Bible in Oregon, And uh, at the end of that chapel hour, one of the students came to me. And he said, uh, I'm fit to quit. I came here two years ago and I've learned all kinds of things that I suppose I ought to know. But I'm through. When I came here, my ambition was to evangelize the world do something for God. But now I'm through. Fit to quit. I said, That's great. That's where I got years and years ago. And I'm delighted to hear it from your lips. And I've got only one word of advice for you quit. And discover who can because you've discovered you can't. You probably, some of you know his name, Luis Palau. He wrote to me, he's written many times, but he wrote to me some time ago and he said, uh, as he thanked me for the discovery that he made that Jesus alone is the one who can. He said it's my privilege all over the world to have talked literally to millions of people. That's true. When Billy Graham was conducting the mission to England, Louis Palau was conducting simultaneously a mission to London Who's doing it? Jesus. Why? Because he learned in despair to let him. That's why I'm so delighted that you're here today. Because it was in my moment of despair that I learned to let him. And torchbearers began that day at the age of 19. That's what it means to be a torchbearer. Not somebody who's smart. Not somebody who's a great theologian or a great preacher. Ah, just any boy, any girl, any man or any woman who's prepared to let him be God. God in action. Well I determined then at the age of nineteen that the greatest service that I could render to the Christian church was to tell people about a Jesus not still hanging on a brass cross where they have put him in most churches for decades telling the world Jesus is dead, Jesus is dead, there he is hanging on a cross (coughs) we have a torchbearer center in Austria and the pastor of the Lutheran church who's now come alive in Christ is a member of our board in Austria a Lutheran pastor but there's one thing he still should do Outside the church door, there's a big brass cross, and on it, nailed, there is a dead Jesus. Now, if you go into a church through a door and you've had to pass a dead Jesus nailed to a brass cross, who do you expect to find in the pulpit? A dead Jesus? It's a wonderful thing to discover that Jesus not only died for you but rose again from the dead to live his life in you. Not your life for him but his life in and through you. So I decided that I needed a big house where I could invite boys and girls to come in their teens or preteens and be told from the beginning of their christian life that the jesus they've come to know is not dead he's not hanging on a cross he's alive and well and kicking so i looked around for a big house it's called cape and ray hall and bought it And I invited two of my closest friends whom I'd known for many years. One was Alan Redpath, whose name you may well know too because he's authored many books and had a very, very valuable ministry for many years and became a world representative for Torch Spirits, literally worldwide. (coughs) And another very fine Christian lady. So I took them down through the park at Capenry to Capenry Hall which is a a very lovely little house in the country. (laughs) We can accommodate about 250. That's how little it is. And so uh, with gratitude to God because I was deeply grateful to him for this place that he had enabled us to buy Alan Redpath first and then the very sweet, lovely Christian lady second. They said, sell it and cut your loss. You don't realize the situation in England at the end of World War Two. We weren't even allowed to spend more than ten pounds on repairs. And there was a whole bunch that had to be done to this big home, Cape and Hall in England, which is our international headquarters today. So I'm glad I didn't take their advice. Set it and cut your loss, because you wouldn't be here this morning. And I'm glad you're here. But if there's one thing I want you to know more than anything else, it's what I wanted those kids that began to come then. And literally thousands, tens of thousands of boys, girls, men and women have been to Capenry. The first Torchbearer Bible School. Though at the first it was just a conference centre for kids. Were they not sincere in saying, cut it, quit now, before it's too late? Uh-uh. They were sincere and re and sincerely wrong. And now there are 26 Cape and rays all over the world. And right now, while you're sitting here, there are at least and probably more than a thousand other students elsewhere in different parts of the world And the only thing we want them to discover in the Word of God and through the Word of God and by the gracious admonition and instruction given to us by the Holy Spirit, whose office it is to teach us not just how to become a Christian, but how to be the Christian you become. And what you need is not only a Jesus and him crucified, You need a Jesus, risen from the dead, alive and well, enthroned in your heart, and whose life you share every moment of every day. Fantastic. The very simple proposition... very simple every demand that God makes upon you and me is from God's point of view completely logical because in the divine logic there's a factor missing in us And the hidden factor in the divine logic is Jesus, himself. Without whom we are nothing, have nothing, and can be nothing. Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who can. You and I are those who can't. And the recipe for failure, despair, frustration and fit to quitness is to think you can and try and fail. And I've spent over 70 years speaking to those who've quit and had to rediscover Arisen, living, all-adequate Savior who's big enough, no matter what. That's why the Word of God says, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God concerning you who are in Christ. That's the will of God. It isn't a preacher's topic, It isn't something pious you're supposed to do to demonstrate your dedication. It's the will of God. If in any given situation, threat, promise, no matter what, I'm not prepared to say, thank you, Lord. I'm frustrating the grace of God. I learned that right at the very beginning of my real Christian life at the age of 19 that the Christian life becomes real only when you begin to say thank you. Not please. Faith doesn't say please. Faith says thank you, Lord. And have a hilarious expectation that wherever he may be pleased to put you, he'll bless you. Lord, I believe it's by your will I'm here. Please bless me. What do you think he says? Don't waste my time. Don't you credit me with any intelligence? (laughs) Do you think I'd put you there if I weren't going to bless you? Just get on with the job and thank me for the blessing that's inevitable in the place where you've been put. That was the advice given by the angels that came when the apostles were thrown into jail. If you remember the story in the book of the Acts, they opened the gates and let them out. And what do they say? Go where you're sent, stay where you're put, and give what you've got. In other words, sent, went, and put. That's the Christian name. Knowing every step of the way that you're in the place where God's put you. And if you're in the place where God's put you, no matter where it's going to take you in days to come, when you've finished with this Bible school, it's utterly irrelevant except insofar as he's the one who's put you where you are. Then all you've got to do is thank the Lord for the blessing that is inevitable. In all the centers that have arisen around the world, not one of them was possible to begin with, any more than Cape and We didn't have enough money to buy that place. I'd been at war for seven years, World War II, and God preserved me, except for that finger. (laughs) It was a German tank, (laughs) and I said, just a minute. And he didn't wave. So that finger is buried in Italy. Little white cross. (laughs) Rest in peace. (laughs) R.I.P. But one day I'm going to get a new one. When Jesus comes. And we're going to see him as he is. Not as he was, as some of us were reminded yesterday. Not as he will be. We're going to see him as he is because he's not the Jesus who was and he's not the Jesus who will be. He's the Jesus who is. 24 hours a day. In all the glorious, overwhelming adequacy of a creator-redeemer who's not only made us fit for heaven instead of going to hell, but a million times more wonderful than that to become the home in which he lives and the heart in which he reigns, king in his kingdom. Just marvelous. So if you never knew before, now you know why you're here and why another thousand young men and women are where they are at this very moment in many parts of the world. It was all born, the broken heart. It was born out of the moment of despair. And when I told the Lord Jesus that I was going to quit, I thought he'd be terribly disappointed. I mean, to to lose a promising young man like me. What was he going to do without me? I was keeping him business. I was told I had to keep him in business. (coughs) He wasn't in that kind of trouble, I found out. (laughs) But he's been keeping me in business ever since, all over the world. And you're part of the business. That's exciting. Before you can really live, you have to die. I always used to carry an oak tree around in my pocket. You say, what do you say? An oak tree? Yes, but your pocket wouldn't be big enough to have an oak tree. But it is, and was. It was an acorn. Do you know why that acorn was never an oak tree? It never died to what it is until it could become what it was intended to be. That's the Christian life. Until you die to what you are, you'll never become what God intended you to be. In his divine economy, his glorious agenda, you should begin now, if you've never already started, to thank him for all he plans on his agenda, not yours, his, what he plans on his agenda to do in and through your life. And let him surprise you. And he will. It's incredible. Life is an adventure. When it's Jesus, it's a miracle. His life was a miracle. How would you define a miracle? Something that cannot possibly happen apart from God. And the Lord Jesus said, without my Father, God, I can do nothing. So his life was a miracle. 24 hours a day because he always let the Father do it. How did he feed the 5,000? Five loaves, two fishes, a small unnamed boy, and 5,000 people to feed. How did he do it? Very simple. In his heart he said, Father, we agreed on this. In my sinless humanity, I know that I can't. But, Father, you can. So it's recorded in God's word. He said, thank you, Father. What else did he need to say? Nothing. Thank you, Father. And the moment he said, thank you, Father, he did it. Faithful is he, Jesus, now that calls you. Who will also do it? First Thessalonians five twenty 1 Thessalonians five twenty four. Faithful is he that calls you, literally to himself. Who will also do it? But he will not. He cannot, <coughs> and he does not, until you let him. How do you let him? Just admit. This is true repentance. Not doing something wrong and saying, I'm sorry. True repentance is saying, Lord Jesus, I can't. But then you never said I could. But you can. Always said you would. Thanks. That's why the word of God, let me see if I can find it. I have to fumble a lot because my fingers don't work too well in point of fact. These don't work at all until I shake them loose. <laughs> and I'd have to be very careful in case I lose another one. <laughs> <laughs> but in First Thessalonians, same chapter, I think it's verse 28, not a hundred percent sure, but uh, I'll check it. I can do it all right as long as I don't run out of (laughs) lick. because it's the only way I can turn the page. The promise that God gives us in this valuable book is that uh, in any given situation, no matter what, threat, promise, opportunity, responsibility, he'll do it. So all you've got to do is, in everything, give thanks. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if I can't find it because it's there and it'll still be there tomorrow. (laughs) That's the beautiful thing about this book. God wrote it and it never fails to tell us the truth. Be unceasing in prayer. Praying perseveringly. That's not begging. Prayer is Taking God at his word and saying thank you in advance for all that he plans to do and will, if you let him. I haven't a clue where it is now. That's old age chapter 5 verse
1: 18 say again chapter 5 verse 18 18
0: that's right it's right in front of me underlined in red (laughs) thank God in everything that's praying real prayer thank God in everything For this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Has he embraced you as a forgiven sinner and given you the incredible privilege of being a child of God forever? He looking forward as much as you and I are to the day when he comes and we see him face to face and we're like him. What does that mean? Restored to function. Restored to what we were when God first made Adam. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be. Be thankful. Give thanks for this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus, the revealer and the mediator of that will. Do not quench, suppress or subdue the Holy Spirit if in any given circumstance you're not prepared to say thank you Lord, you're big enough, that's all I need to know and I want you to know that so far as I'm concerned you're in business. And He is and He'll surprise you and you'll be able to look back over seventy years and still be amazed (coughs) at all the things He's been doing one step at a time One day at a time, one year at a time, until you discover how old you are, and he's never failed. I can't tell you just how excited I am about the prospect of welcoming the Lord Jesus. I plan on being numbered amongst those who are alive and remain at his coming. I don't plan to go to heaven by underground. I'm going by air. (laughs) When we're caught up with the Lord in the isn't it, great? I hope I meet some of you around. But I'll outfly you. <laughs> because I'll have a new body. And a new finger. <laughs> well, that's it. Because it's your lunch time. But it's been fun. But remember why you're here. Your presence was born of despair. And I can't thank God enough for the moment when in tears of despair I threw in the sponge, quit and said, Lord, I can't. He said, I know, I never said you could. But I can. And I always said I would and will and did. Wonderful. Isn't it terrific to be a Christian? I mean be one, not just become one. Anybody can become a Christian. Even the dying thief on the cross. Lord, remember me. And Jesus did. He became a Christian. But he didn't have time to be one or discover what it meant to be one because he was dying with Jesus on a cross. But he'll be in heaven being the Christian he once became when he cried, Lord, remember me. Well, thanks for the joy that has been mine to talk to you. And remember, you're just a little group of over a thousand men and women of many different Nations, tongues, color of skin scattered around the world who are learning what every born-again Christian needs to know, how to be through the risen, living, indwelling Savior what once in the moment of choice you became when you said, thank you, Lord Jesus. I apologize as I did for never having thanked Him before because nobody ever told me. But now I thank Him every day for the privilege of knowing Him for who He is as I once learned to know Him for what He did. Live in the present tense of a risen, living, indwelling Saviour and the future will be beyond your dreams. Every horizon will beckon you, heavy with blessing, golden with prospect. But only he can do it. All you've got to do is let him by saying, thank you, Lord. It's going to be exciting. What you're going to do in my life 24 hours a day. And I don't even have to know what you've done. All I have to know is that you did it. Not because I did it, but because you did it. And you did it because you said you would. That's all I need to know. So I'm not going to plead, beg, or ask. I'm just going to live in the glorious future of your divine planning. And know that no matter what situation may arise of threat or promise, you're big enough. As big as God, who put the universes into space and the stars into the far corners of the night. If you're not big enough, nobody is. Nobody could be. Thank you, dear Lord, for the incredible adventure of being a Christian. Every moment of every day. Thanking you in advance for all the incredible things that you've already planned. Just tell in my life, Lord Jesus, please, the story that you have already written. That's the Christian life. Jesus telling a story he's already written. If you'll let him. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for the precious blood you shed so gladly on the cross at the hands of wicked men. But you did it for me and you did it for all these my brothers and sisters whom you now have numbered amongst the children of God whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God's life, eternal life. Thank you for all that you're going to unfold of your plans for them in the days that lie ahead. Thank you for every situation that will ever arise. You'll always be never, ever less than beginner. So we rejoice. Loving Lord, in you and all that you are because all that you are we've got. We can't have more, need never have less, so long as all that we are is available to all that you are, King in the kingdom that you have established in the hearts of the redeemed forever. And we say, welcome, Lord Jesus. We look forward to your return. Nothing could be more wonderful. Thank you so much. And in the day you come back, find us on the job, available in the totality of our being for your divine indwelling. You unfolding the plan, bringing it to reality. Every day the adventure of seeing God at work, as God, in us and through us, in your own precious name, Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast, featuring our host, Kelly Doherty and a throwback audio from Major Ian Thomas. We hope this episode was encouraging to you and your heart. The fall 2023 term has flown on by and somehow wraps up in just a few days. Our students will be heading home for Christmas break next Friday, and we would appreciate prayers for their travels and time at home over the winter holiday. This semester has been a blessing in many ways, and we are excited to see what God will do here on the hilltop next term. Thanks again for listening to the His Hill podcast today. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I'm Lizzie and we'll see you next week.